those different sins so far. We've hit pride, we've hit envy, we've hit gluttony, and now we're hitting one that uh, you're going to hear the name of it, and it's sloth. And, and, and let me say right, tell you right now, as I've looked at this sin, it's probably not what you think it is. Uh, and, and as I was thinking of this message and preparing it and looking at this passage, and I was thinking, what, it, it reminded me of a story in my own house. I have a dog named Spurgeon. We call him Spurge for short. And Spurge is a, is a lab Great Dane mix. And he's, uh, I don't know if he's, he, he's a very high energy dog. That's a good way to put it. He's a high energy dog. And uh, he loves to play and he loves to greet people and lick people. And you guys kind of play bite with you. And he just doesn't go away. He's always there wanting to play with you. And uh, the other thing is, is he, he, he has this thing with shadows. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is like when the sun comes in my kitchen in, in the afternoons, it casts shadows. The sun's setting in the, the west, and my, my kitchen has a west view, and it, it sets the shadow in. And then whenever a curtain moves, he looks at the wall and thinks he tries to go for the, on the wall. I mean, he goes all the way up the wall trying to find what these are. And, it, and you could take it, and I can even take my cell phone at night, and I like to do this. It drives my wife crazy. But I put a, the flashlight on, I put my hand down, and he tries to attack my hand over and over and over again. I mean, it's all he does is he tries to get the shadows over and over over again, which is, it's funny at first until one little uh, shadow cast itself on our dining room floor while we were gone, and he dug a hole through the wood floor, <laughs> through the wood floor, Cause, and he thought he could get it, but it's not what he thought it was. He thought it was like a bug or something that he could get a hold of, and the reality is he wasn't. When we look at sloth, we have an idea of what we think it is and kind of chase an image of it. But the reality is, is when we look at it, when we expand it, when we draw our attention to it and pull it out, we find that it's much bigger than we originally thought. Matter of fact, even as you probably heard this passage, and if you even looked at the sermon notes ahead of time, you probably went, how is this passage related to sloth? Well, that's what we're going to get to today. We're going to find out what sloth is, address some common misconceptions about it, see how it manifests itself in our lives, and then look at the Bible's mandate on how we can deal with sloth in our everyday lives. Because I, I have a feeling that many of us might think of someone else as being slothful and not ourselves, but when we shine the spotlight on it, I think it's going to surprise us because we don't really think it is uh, what it really is. But let's take a moment to ask God's blessing on our message time. Father, we come before you once again, placing ourselves under the microscope of your, of your manifest presence. Lord, asking you by your Spirit to bring to the surface any sin in our life that are, it's keeping us from hearing this word. Lord, we enter into your presence asking you to change us and transform us for the glory of your name. So, Lord, please speak to us today. Draw us unto yourself and glorify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we really jump into our passage, I'd like, us to, I'd like to address some common misconceptions about sloth. Now, undoubtedly, the first thought that comes to your mind when you hear sloth, I mean, if it's not a physical sloth, it's the word laziness. Uh, it's the word laziness. And laziness is an aspect of or manifestation uh, of sloth. But that's not all that it is. And it can truly involve laziness. Now, uh, some of us think, well, what does it mean to be lazy? Is it wrong just on Labor Day? I'm going to have that off and I'm not going to be working. Is it wrong for me just to lay on my couch and, and put on, you know, have a, a, a good bowl of salsa and some chips and catch up on my latest Netflix episodes? No, that's not, not what it's talking about per se. 
And, and yes, the Bible does talk about laziness and the sluggard and not doing what we're supposed to do. But sloth involves laziness, but it actually is much bigger than that. It, it, can involve, it actually has two poles. Laziness is on this side, and actually busyness is on this side. Now, uh, before you go on, you're, I mean, we go on, you're probably wondering, how is busyness an aspect of sloth? Well, let me try to, to expand this for you to help you to see what it really is. And, and I wanted to, as I, as I do this, I wanted to quote an author to you as I was reading this. Uh, she had written a lot on the seven deadly sins, and she actually talks about the sin of sloth. And she thought going in, and, and she says this, I should confess, when I started studying this, uh, studying sloth, I was fairly confident that uh, this is the one vice that I wouldn't struggle with. I'd never have to worry about. If anything, I reasoned I'm too busy. Hardworking to the point of a fault and something of a perfectionist besides. Carelessness, apathy, laziness, and lack of effort would definitely not be my problem. But she says, my fragile bubble of self-righteousness quickly burst, however, when I read a little book that argued that busyness and workaholism were not virtuous, but rather sloth's classic symptoms. According to its author, not only can, I'm going to throw a word at you that I'm going to define here in a minute, but sloth is commonly can re- be referred to as another word called acedia, which I will define here momentarily. And ordinary diligence exists very well together. It is even true that the senselessly exaggerated workaholism of our age is directly traceable to acedia, which is sloth. It turned out that the apathetic inertia of the lazy person and the perpetual motion of the busy person could both reveal a heart afflicted by this vice, according to the traditional conception. So what is sloth in, or what is this acedia? Let me define it for you. It's a Greek word that names a state of unconcern or dissatisfaction with one's condition or action in the world. In a strong case, it can keep one from being able to perform one's duties. And the term was actually first used in Christianity by monks and other aesthetics who lived solitary lives and were tempted to become listless and inert or begin longing to be elsewhere to do something other than what they were doing. In church history, those uh, men known as the Desert Fathers, it's in Turkey in in the 400s, considered sloth or acedia to be a restlessness of heart. That's what it is, if we can call that up there. It is a restlessness of heart. It is, it, is, it is completely where you are not satisfied with God, and it is really an unwillingness to do what one was supposed to do, being restless so that you lay around and do nothing, or so restless that you do too much and you can't do what God wants you to do. So there's two poles that sloth or acedia can take. It is not doing what you're supposed to do, laying around and doing nothing, or doing so much that you can't do what you're supposed to do. So it's, it's got two poles that are on it. Now, you're, some of you might say to me, well, wait, we're supposed to work diligently. God wants us to work well, but we can become too busy. Now, let me ask you in the, in the audience or in the congregation, and you don't have to raise your hand. Just you can, uh, The question enough will suffice. How many of you feel that you are too busy? Uh, I'm getting ready to do this uh, men's group called Christian uh, Leadership Concepts. There's some men that are going to be in our church that are participating in it. And one of the texts for this was written in the 1960s. It's a little pamphlet called Tyranny of the Urgent. 
And in it, he outlines how, how our the busyness can keep us from doing what God wants us to do, what is necessary in our walk with him. And one of the things he talks about is the til- tyranny of the urgency urgent in regards to the telephone. And I had to laugh because this guy was writing in the 60s, and there he was saying the telephone was <laughs> just invading our time. What would he say now? When we check our phones sometimes 46 times in a day, we're too busy, we're, and we're distracted. We're restless of mind. We, we, we are all ADD and ADHD where we can't focus on what God wants us to have. So we, we either lay around and do nothing, or we do so much, and we're so busy that we can't do what God wants us to do. Now do I have your attention in regards to sloth? It's a little bit different than what you originally thought. It's not what you thought it was. I'll tell you, it wasn't what I thought it was. The more that I read this, the more convicted I got that we can become too busy. It is a restlessness of heart. Well, I want to unpack this meaning for a moment. Uh, Unpack this meaning with you. Um, And I want to give you a quote by Rebecca DeYoung, who wrote this book called Glittering Vices. She's a professor at Calvin College. She says this, Sloth is opposed to the great Christian virtue of diligence, that powerful sense of responsibility, dedication to hard work, and conscientious completion of one's duties. And what is hard work and dedication at its best, after all, but an expression of love and devotion? The telltale root of our word diligence is the Latin delegare, which means to love. Sloth, on this view, is apathy, comfortable indifference to the duty and neglect of other human beings' needs. If you won't work hard, you don't care enough. Sloth becomes a sin, not merely because it makes us lazy, but because of the lack of the love that lies behind our laziness. So in other words, it's this. It is a resistance to responsibility. That's the, the next subpoint, letter A under number two. It is a resistance toward responsibility. Now here's what I mean by that, especially spiritually speaking. Let me try to explain this for you. Annie Lamont uh, has a quote. She said this, and it's not on the screen. The secret is that God loves us exactly the way we are and that he loves us too much to let us stay like that. Meaning that when God loves you, he, places, he, he sets his seal upon you, he places his spirit within you, and he transforms you from the inside out. Now, we're to participate with that. We become new, creature, new creatures, a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's call this up on the screen for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So you're a new person. You have a new status in the sign of God, and you are to grow into this status. See, but many of us become restless, and we don't do that. We figure we got the fire insurance faith policy, just the liability. All I need to know is I'm getting into heaven. I'll sign that, and then after that, I don't need anything else. But that's not what God has. God wants you to press on in your walk with him, to maturity in faith in Christ. Matter of fact, the Scripture lays this out in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are to become more like Jesus each and every day. God wants us to grow in our faith, to press on to maturity. The moment that you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are considered to be a babe in Christ. And you are to long for the pure spiritual milk, which is the word of God. But in Hebrews chapter 6, it says that we are to press on to maturity not sitting around in diapers all the time. My two-and-a-half-year-old son, his name is Josiah. We call him Jojo. 
Jojo, we're working on potty training right now with Jojo. And uh, he doesn't really get into it all that much. He doesn't really enjoy the potty training aspect. And it's cute. He's two and a half years old. But as he's aging, it's getting less cute. Right? It's, how many wants to see a 12-year-old walking around in a diaper? It's, it's not a pleasant thought at all. See, the reality is, as many of us come to Jesus and we stay in our spiritual diapers. Some of you, are, you have been in Christ for 45 years and you're still wearing spiritual diapers. We're to press on in our maturity, to do what is necessary. Some of us become so busy that we can't do what God wants us to do, or we become so lazy we can't do what God wants us to do. So we have to press on and to add to our faith. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 through 7. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, I mean, we've been changed, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. See, you see what's happening here? There's steps of growth that we're all to be taking. We're to grow. We're to expand. We're to make every effort to grow in our faith with God. And when we are too busy or not busy enough, I mean, we're we're either being lazy or too busy that we can't do what God wants us to do in our lives. And then we are guilty of sloth. This is sedia, which the Bible does talk about. So it's a neglecting of a responsibility. Now, let me, let me try to uh, illustrate this for you a little bit. Uh, when I got married, I went from being a, my status changed. I went from being a single man to a married man. Okay, my status has changed, but I have to live as a husband. So let's say for a moment that Melissa and I are at the table and at dinner time, and that we get into an argument and 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 get up from the table. We go to the separate rooms of the house. Okay, and we don't want to talk with one another. We avoid one another. How many of you ever had that in your house? Okay, you avoid one another. You go to different rooms, and and that's what's going on. And, and I I don't want to make that effort to ask for forgiveness. And that work is not going across the house. It's putting my pride to death, sacrificing myself, humbling myself to say I was wrong. And I've gotten pretty good at it, by the way, of saying I was wrong to my wife because it happens quite a bit. That's the real work. You see, it's, it's like I'm, my status has changed, but if I'm not willing to live within that new life, that new status, that I'm being disobedient. I am to then make every effort to live with my wife and love my wife as Christ loved the church. And that means sacrificing myself, humbling myself, working on our marriage, loving one another, dating one another, romancing one another, to live in the midst of that status and how my identity has changed. So it's a, it, when we resist the responsibilities that are before us, then we are becoming slothful. So it means avoiding, uh, resisting responsibility, but it also means uh, we are to be doing, excuse me, it also is a resistance to doing one's duty for God. Duty, resisting one's duty for God. Now this is where our passage comes from for the day. And I, and I want to focus on this for a moment because you might want to know how does this passage relate to our topic? And it's a great question. And it's one is, as I was studying, I found that many of the ancient authors referred to this passage as an example of sloth or acedia. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, this is the story of Lot. 
and his, his children, his wife, uh, and Lot was the great patriarch Abraham's nephew. And they had uh, been together for a period of time. Lot had separated. At first, he lived right outside of Sodom, and then he moved into Sodom, uh, which was the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which many of us have heard of. They were known for their great wickedness, especially in regards to sexuality, but there's a lot more that was involved than just that. And Abraham, uh, three visitors show up at Abraham's tent, two angels and God himself. And they tell him, uh, God tells him that he's ready to destroy Sodom. And he's getting ready, he's going there now to see if it's as bad as he has heard it really was. And if it's really bad, he's going to destroy it. And Abraham makes this, he continually pleads and makes intercession. If there are or 45 people there, will you destroy it? No, I won't for the sake of 45. And he says, well, how about 40? And then he works into 30, 30 and 20 and down to 10. And God says, if there are 10 righteous persons there, I will not destroy the city. And then we see the two angels showing up in the city and interacting with Lot. And uh, the men of the town show up, and actually, uh, as, as the Lot takes in these two angels in his house, they show up and want to beat down the door because they're going to try to rape these angels. This is how bad it is, this flesh that they're trying to go after. And then the angels strike him with blindness, and they tell Lot that he has to flee immediately or this city is going to be destroyed. And he says, take your wife, take your children, get your, you know, tell your, your sons-in-law, uh, your, your future sons-in-laws that your daughters are getting married, uh, go tell them. And he goes and pleads with them, and, and they thought he was joking around, and so they don't do anything. So he grabs his, he's, he's trying to figure out what to do, and, and that picks up in our text in verse 16. It's, he says that he actually lingered for a little bit in Genesis uh, chapter 19, verse 16. Well, in verse 15, it says, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered in verse 16. He, it's almost as if he didn't know what to do. And the angels are like, No, 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 immediate, you've got to go. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. And the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And then the Lord rained down Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now notice the warning that was given to them in verse 17. Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. When God gives a command, he doesn't want you to interpret it. He is wanting you to follow it, to immediately obey it. And he tells her, don't look back. Don't. And she goes on, and she doesn't do her duty. She doesn't fulfill her responsibility. She's looking back, which is a symbol or metaphor of looking back to one's old life before Christ. 
of not doing what you're supposed to do to progress on with him. They're saying, I want to go back to that. They're saying, that's the example. You are neglectful of one's duty that God has placed within you. Because when you come to know Jesus, you are expected to grow in Christ. You're to mature up. You're to, to cut your teeth so you can eat the meat of the word of God, not just be fed this pure spiritual milk any longer. You're to continue to, by process of knowing how to discern good and evil, knowing how to disciple people, to mature, to share your faith, to know how to budget your time, to know how to, to work it in such a way that God re- gives, is, receives great glory. And so she was guilty of that because she was trying to go back to her old way of life. She looked upon it with wonder. She wanted it. She longed for it. It's saying you can't go back. We have to press on. We cannot neglect our responsibilities or to do our duty. She failed to do what she needed to do. She looked back, wanting to go back to her old way of life. Refused to go forward to do what God wanted her and commanded her to do. And do you know what this really is? What sloth or acedia really is? It's really a type of apathy toward God. It's a failure to take God seriously. A failure to take God seriously and change one's life and do what is necessary that God wants you to do. It's an apathy toward God. Kathleen Norris, uh, who is a poet... She talked a little bit about this. She said that acedia is an ancient term signifying the profound indifference and inability to care about things that matter, even to the extent that you no longer care that you can't care. It's apathy toward God, and it's really a failure to make him the priority of your life. It's a failure to make him the priority of your life. Jesus illustrates this in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22, and the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, from all outward purposes, looks like a guy you'd want in your church. He's, he's young, he's wealthy, he's ready to give, he's a big tither. And he runs to Jesus, kneels down, and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to in- inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, he quotes six of the Ten Commandments to this young man. And the man's like, yeah, I know, I know, I've done these. I'm, I've done these since I was a very young man. I'm all good, what else? And he's like, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and follow me. That's a, a quite startling thing in Mark chapter 21 through 22. In, in 21, he says, You lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went over sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, he was what he was guilty of is doing what was necessary to follow God and what God wanted him to do neglecting his responsibility, neglecting his duty. He had apathy. He said he, he didn't care in that he's like, God, you're not worth giving up this. Let me ask you this. What's the one thing that you can't imagine giving up for God? Could be a sin, could be a person, could be a habit, could be an occupation. Let me say this. Nothing is worth more than Jesus. Nothing that we have, no earthly relationship, no accolade, no achievement, no fame is worth more than Jesus. God is calling us to make him the number one priority of our life. Now, we've talked a great deal about this sin, sloth. 
But let's explore some of its manifestations for a moment. I want to explore some of its manifestations. How does this come out in our lives? Well, first of all, it, it manifests itself in our family relationships. Our family relationships. Just like we saw earlier in marriage, it rears its ugly head in our families when we fail to deal with the issues in front of us, whether it's with our children and their disobedience, refusing to discipline them, refusing, rather, just sitting there letting them watch Netflix or YouTube rather than sitting down and talking to them about who God is. And I'm saying that, again, that you can't do those things, but it's doing when you know you're not supposed to and you're supposed to be doing something else. It's not wrong to let a child relax or even for us to relax. There's a difference between relaxation and laziness. Relaxation is taking a break, and it's okay to take breaks. Laziness, though, is failing to do what we know we are supposed to do. It's when we fail to discipline our children or fail to forgive someone for something that they have done. So it manifests itself in our family relationships. It also comes out in our financial stresses. When we waste our money on silly things and don't take responsibility for our lives. I remember interacting with this young homeless woman. She was living out of her car, and we were trying to help her at one time. She'd, she'd come here before, and I was talking to her, and I was trying to find out she had a full-time job, and I couldn't figure out why she was living in her car. And she says, I said, well, are you you're just kind of getting to know her? And I said, are you using a budget? And she says, no, I don't really budget or anything like that. And she, I said, well, may I ask, how are you? what are you doing with your money? And she's like, well, I, I bought this tattoo machine that I have in my car and I bought my pet iguana and, and I'm, I'm paying to have my tanning appointments. And I'm like, I have got nothing. <laughs> Not taking responsibility. Take responsibility for, and, and that's part of it is taking responsibility in our finances. And that's why, by the way, some people that are here and you feel like you want to give, but you can't give because you have not made the God the priority in your finances. You give to a lot of other things. You've got enough for fantasy football, but you may not have enough to give to God in his ministry. You, can, you have enough to get those brand new sneakers, those kicks, but you don't have enough to give to God and his glory and the furtherance of his kingdom. We have to be very, very careful. We have to make God the priority of our lives. The book of Haggai talks about this again, that they failed in their responsibility to God. The Israelites had come back to Jerusalem after they'd been in exile, and they were rebuilding Jerusalem, if you remember right. And they had started rebuilding the temple, and and construction had paused. And they were building up their own houses, but they weren't caring enough to give to God. And Haggai talks about this in Haggai chapter 1. God is speaking to the Israelites and says this, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? God hasn't been the priority of your life? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, in the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and all their labors. In other words, you didn't make me the priority. 
seems like you had enough. You were making enough, but no matter how much you tried, it seemed like you had holes in your pockets. You had new clothes, but yet you weren't staying warm with them. You were doing everything that you thought was right, but you weren't putting your trust in me and making me the priority of your life. So we can see that it manifests itself in our family relationships, in our finances. It also results, and this is for our our students, for flunking out in school. See, when you fail to make God number one and you budget your time to do what is necessary, if you fail to do and budget your time to do what is necessary, you may well flunk out. You refuse to do your homework, spending more time on social media and talking to your friends than you do in studying. So it could be flunking out in school. Or for most of us, sloth results in failing spiritually. You have failed to give God first place. You don't have time because you, you refuse to make time. You give priority to other things than God himself. Nobody has time for God. Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, once wrote a book entitled, Too Busy Not to Pray. I like that title. Too busy. We're too busy that we, can't, that we, we need to pray. We're busy people, but as we've seen, busyness is a mask for sloth. We're so busy that we can't go on without God in it. We might well be too lazy to read or too busy to read the Word of God or to pray. We might have well, though, time to participate in our favorite hobby, whether it's music, sports, fantasy football, acting, singing, uh, or maybe going to the movies, but you don't have any time to serve God. Then you're a sloth. Moreover, you're a functional atheist. You might give credence to God with your words, but your life shows that you have no time. God is not the God of your calendar. What are we to do? I mean, we're all guilty of this in one way or another. Even, even I can't. I mean, even me. I, I'm guilty of this just as everybody else is. And I see that myself. I'm preaching this to me. And even as I was reading this, I was finding myself more and more convicted. And I, and I saw here, we need, to, we need to heed the Bible's mandate. The Bible has not changed. It still speaks to our situation, no matter what cultural changes go on around us. It still speaks to our human condition, right where we're at, no matter what's going on around us. We have this tendency to think that God doesn't understand our lives. If he can only see us now. I mean, he didn't have to deal with this stuff. Or, you know, back in Jesus' day, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have social media. I mean, they, they didn't have uh, people messaging him at all hours. Jesus understood busyness. And as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. But we need to heed the Bible's mandate for us. And here's the first thing we need to do. We need to seek passionately. Seek God passionately. That's the first and foremost thing. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember we saw that in that definition of sloth that is the anti uh, of diligence. And diligence means to, to love something. And if you are loving God, then you're going to be diligent in how you seek God. So diligence, we need to seek God passionately. Secondly, we need to work diligently. Sloth exhibits itself across two poles. One of the poles is being lazy. If someone is being lazy, they need to learn how to work. Okay, remember, some people go over here and they're the lazy side and the other people here are too busy. So for the person who's lazy, you need to step up and you need to work. And work, do your work heartily is unto the Lord. As Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We're to work for God. Not our boss, not for the people around us, but for God first and foremost. We're to work diligently. Thirdly, and this is for those who are 
the, the opposite side of the pole. You are the busy, busy ones. There's a reason why God said, work six, rest one. We are to rest weekly. Now, you might have to work on the Sabbath day, but you need to take a different day off then. Find that time. And it's not so that you can go to the softball game or the football game and and do everything else but seek God. It's a time where you are reminded. It is a time where we tell ourselves that God is in charge and I'm not. And we are not as necessary as we think we are. We have this tendency to think that the world will stop if we don't do what we're supposed to do. I remember an older man telling me when I was a new pastor in ministry, he said some of the most wisest counsel I've ever heard in my life. And I quoted it once at at an elder meeting at my first church, and all the men looked at me like I was saying the dumbest thing in the world, and then they thought about it, and it was true. And it didn't come from me, it came from another man. He said, God doesn't need you. He chooses to use you. He doesn't need you. He chooses to use you. And I remember sitting in a meeting and telling that to the elders. He doesn't need me. And they went, no, he does need you, pastor. He needs you to do this. He needs you to do that. No, he chooses to use me. He can fill this chair with someone else much better looking and much better qualified and much more talented and have a nicer beard. But he can do that. He can do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't need me. He chooses to use us. And he can choose to put someone else in that position. In a heartbeat, and you find out how really unnecessary you really are. He can use someone else to do the job. We need to rest weekly. That is a spiritual discipline where we remind ourselves that we are not in charge. It also tells the people around us that they can get along without us and fend for themselves on some things. Fourthly, for those that are so busy or too lazy we, and don't have time to do, either they're too lazy to serve or they're too busy to serve, we need to carve out time to serve God faithfully. If we're to be who God wants us to be, then it means that we need to serve faithfully. We can't be like Jesus if we don't serve and make room to serve him in our lives. It means giving of our time, which for many of us is the most value commod- valuable commodity that we have. It may mean serving in a nursery or helping uh, with our landscape outside or serving by giving meals to those in need or serving on our tech team or one of our, our welcome team. And there's many different ways that you can serve. And if you're looking for an opportunity to serve, please let us know and we'll connect you. So also it means that we need to give generously. This is making God, again, the priority, doing the due diligence necessary that God wants us to do. It means giving generously to the Lord. Giving generously to God, making him the priority even in our finances. We're not to be slothful in our finances. It means giving God that what is his due. One of the things that we have noted here at VBC, uh, especially with the, regards to the Aurora campus, is our, uh, we keep stats on our giving, uh, not by necessarily names, but percentages-wise. Uh, and God has been faithful, and you, many of you have been faithful in your giving of your tithes and your offerings. But we were looking over the month of July, and, and though we were meeting some budget areas, we were excited about that, we saw that as a percentage-wise, which is what I cared about more, it was disappointing. We were meeting budget, but yet only 39% of those who called Village Bible Church home gave in the month of July. It means that they made other things priorities in their lives. 39% of the people that come here weren't giving. Now, I understand vacations and so on and so forth, and people get distracted with different things, but I believe that statistic is, is still indicative. 
of that. Matter of fact, we found that in the month of July, only 50% of those who called our campus home were here in the month of July. Well, what does that mean? I mean, we have 273 people that come here each month at our campus, which is wonderful. It's a great thing. But only 50% of them are here attending regularly? I mean, what? what? God wants us to give our time to be together here. Not just give generously in our money and our finances, but to give of our time to be with God's people. That's what he wants from us. We can be slothful when we get up in the morning and we go, eh, I don't want to go to church today. Failing to do the steps necessary or to go to bed earlier that night. I'm like, like, like last night, I, I was tired. I was getting ready for bed and I was getting ready to iron my, my clothes, my shirt. And uh, my, I walked, my wife said, ready for bed? And she's like, let's go for a bike ride. I'm like, it's 10 o'clock. <laughs> she's like, I don't know, I'm ready to move for a bike ride. I said, I... I want to spend time with my wife, not necessarily riding bikes in the dark, but uh, I want to spend time with my wife. And she doesn't normally suggest that. It kind of came out of left field. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? I know. I need to discipline myself and get to bed on time so that I have energy when I get up the next morning so I can really worship the Lord and come ready to worship. Are you coming ready to worship? I mean, I, I was white hot ready to worship today to praise God. The opportunity that we have to praise God it's a wonderful opportunity that we get to meet as a body of Christ to proclaim his glory to the world. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful thing. So we're to give of our time, our talents, and giving financially as well. Give generously. And last and perhaps most important of all, it's this. We have to reprioritize cheerfully. Make God the priority of your life. You know, the book of Colossians says that when he who is your life appears, Jesus is your life, not a part of your life. He is your life. He is the reason you have life. But are we reprioritizing? You say, well, Pastor, you don't understand my schedule. I don't know if you've ever seen this illustration. I don't have it in front of me. I wish I did. But I saw this on YouTube once where the guy takes a big jar and he takes these, he puts this sand in and, and then he puts some pebbles in and then he puts these big stones in and the stones won't fit in in the jar. And he takes the same jar, and he takes the same stuff, and he takes the stones in first, and then he puts the pebbles in, and then he puts the sand in, and it all fit in. Well, how is it? It's the same stuff, right? How did it not fit in the jar the first time? It's because he put in the smaller things first. He let everything else crowd what was most important. When you put in the priorities, the must-haves of your life, of which God is that biggest stone, everything else will come into play. Everything else will fall into place. But when you don't, you're always going to be struggling for time. You're always going to be struggling in your finances. You're going to be struggling in different ways because you failed to make God the priority of your life. So we need to reprioritize cheerfully. Now, as we've gone through this today, I told you, I mean, we, hopefully you've seen that sloth isn't what you probably thought it was, right? It's not what she thought it was. It's not what I thought it was. And he's, as I'm pointing it out, and I'm hoping that God's pointed out some things in your lives, I want you to also realize that he's pointed out some things in my own. I'm not perfect in this in any which way. But I'm asking God to help me prioritize, and I hope that you do too. That we might prioritize and put him first in all things. And ask for his help in helping us in our families, helping us with our finances, helping us in our workplaces, helping us to do the daily things that are hard to do and making God the priority in our lives. And he will do that, and delightfully so.
He loves in helping his children and helping us out. And he's given us his spirit to help us do those things. God allows U-turns. He allows second chances. So let's go before him, asking him to help us reprioritize, to put God first in all things, to know that we were bought at a price, just as we heard about today in communion, that Jesus Christ died for us, that we may not be slaves to the schedule, or slaves to our sin, but that we might love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and show him by our lives that he is the Lord of our lives, and that we love him. So let's pray before him, asking him to, to guide us in this process. Lord, as we come before you, we are grateful that you gave your son to die on the cross for our sins, that through him we might have new life. That we, may, we are freed from the power of sin, but Lord, we also aren't necessarily slaves to our schedule, that we can put you as the priority of our lives. Lord, forgive us for our laziness. Forgive us for our busyness. And Lord, help us to truly not be slothful, but to do what is necessary to mature and take the next step with you. And Lord, whatever that means, for some people it means following you in baptism. For others it means joining the church. For others it means just giving their life to you. For others it means stepping into leadership or or joining a small group or uh, serving in some way. Whatever it might be, Lord, help us to not be slothful in our responsibilities, but help us to show by our words, by our deeds, by our checkbooks, by our entertainment choices, by every single thing that we do in our lives, that you are God. Forgive us, Lord. We know how much we have failed. We know how much baggage we have. But Lord, we know that with you there is forgiveness and that with you there are second chances. So we ask you to forgive us and help us to reprioritize our lives according to your spirit that you might receive great glory through us and that we might increase in our peace and joy in you. We ask your blessing on us now in Jesus' name. Amen.